church have a seat. Open your Bibles. We're going to be in various passages in the book of Matthew this morning. We're continuing in the series that uh, I've called Resolving Conflict. And what I've uh, told you over the last number of weeks that we've been together is conflict is just common to all of us. It's something that all of us are going to experience in life. Uh, It's something that comes to us whether we want to have it or not. And how we deal with that is of vital importance to God. I shared a diagram with you last week. Here it is. And in the diagram, I told you there's two main responses that we have that are very fleshly responses whenever uh, we have conflict. And that is we either escape, we act like the turtle, we pull into our shell, or we attack. We're like the skunk and everybody's going to know about it. We're going to make a big deal out of the conflict. And that's the natural response that all of us have. The thing is that we have an opportunity in conflict to act a little differently, and at the top of the what's called slippery slope is what's called peacemaking. And last week I told you about the peacemaking responses that we can have anytime conflict comes, and it's called the slippery slope for a reason, because it's very difficult to stay up there. Our tendency is to slide off of peacemaking towards our natural response, which is to escape or attack. So that's what's normally going on on the inside of us. And today we're going to talk a little bit more about that peacemaking response and specifically one aspect of peacemaking, which is reconciliation. Let me start off with a story. It's a favorite story of mine. And if you've been around CCF for very long, you know this story. It's been a number of years ago now. And I was uh, in the parking lot, we had a little parking lot in the ministry center on the east side of the building. And I was in the parking lot And right adjacent to the parking lot are some apartments. There are some folks in the apartments that live there, and some of them are friends of ours. We don't know everybody there, but we try to be good neighbors. And one day I got out of my car, and I looked up at the apartment complex, and inside one of the windows was a giant poster of a naked woman. There it was. And I went inside, and Pastor James, our old worship pastor, I said, take a look out your window. He said, you don't see that every day. I said, no, you don't. And on the inside, I was like, you know, what is going on here? There's some sort of message that's being sent to us right now, and I don't, I can't make out what it is. And so we began asking some questions from the neighbors that we did know, and we found out that it was an act of retaliation. And here's why. We found out that as a church, we had a light switch that was over on the playground And we had left that light switch on, not for hours, not for one day, but for weeks. The light had been left on in the playground area, and it had been shining into the apartments. And this poor man, night after night after night, had put up with all of the light that was coming into his room from our playground. Now, again... I think hanging the poster was a little bit odd as a response, but I will say this, it certainly got my attention. (laughs) We began to say, okay, what are we going to do about this? And we began to pray. And one of the first things we did is we wrote a letter to everybody on that side of the building with our sincere apologies. And we told them we had not meant to do that, but we realized the pain it had caused them, and we were sorry, and we were going to make sure that light got out. 
We attempted to actually meet with as many neighbors as we meet in person. Some were willing to do that. Unfortunately, the man was not. But I'm happy to say as soon as our letter landed, pretty quickly, the poster came down and, uh, well, things you know, ticked on again and the poster hasn't been up since. What do you make of that? Here's what I make of it. Is that oftentimes we can cause conflict and not even mean to. That, it just happens. It's not like anybody's intending to do that, but just stuff happens. And as a result of that, conflict can come to us. And dealing with that in a way that is godly and is God-honoring is a big deal. And so today, I want to give you a process to deal with conflict. It's a process that's tried and true. It's right out of the scriptures. It's been practiced by millions of people around the world through Peacemaker Ministries that have taught this. And I can just tell you, it works. So I'm hoping today that you'll tuck this away. If you're not taking some notes today, may I encourage you to do so because these four things are gold. And I use these all the time in my life. Some sort of conflict comes and I begin automatically to rehearse these four steps because they are so important. They give you the best opportunity to honor God and the best opportunity to bring real forgiveness and healing into the relationships around you that matter so, so much to you and so much to me. All right, let me show you the diagram one more time again. And I placed an arrow over the part of this little diagram that we're gonna be focusing upon today. So we're done talking about escape. We're done talking about attack. Now we're going to be in the middle of the peacemaking process and we're going to pursue, be pursuing what's called reconciliation. And I'll have a definition for you that late, for that later. But as I mentioned last week, that is the part of the peacemaking process that we will use the most. It's not as if we won't use the others, but that's the one where we go first and we camp on the most. So getting that one down and understanding how to pursue the reconciliation process is of utmost importance. And so I have four steps to take Every time you're ready to enter the process of reconciliation, here it is. They all start with a G, so that's going to help you with memory. And the very first step in the process of reconciliation is glorify God. When someone mistreats or opposes you, your immediate reaction, and mine too, is to justify yourself, to say all the reasons why they're really wrong and you're really right, and to begin to defend yourself and, you know, even to figure out how you're going to get them. I mean, that's just what's going on on the inside of ourselves. God calls us to change that orientation and to make the first thing that we think about him rather than ourselves. And that's difficult because normally when we're hurting, we're not normally thinking about God at that moment. We're thinking about us at that moment. And God is saying, I want you to change your orientation. I want you to focus or begin to focus on how God is involved in this and how God can help in constructively resolving this conflict. You always have to remember at that moment, I mean, I have to draw upon his mercy. I have to draw on his power in order to be able to approach this from his perspective. And so that is exactly what we're doing. I've got a little uh, slide up here. Conflict is an opportunity here it is. Conflict is an opportunity to solve common problems in a way that honors God and offers benefits to those involved. 
So conflict is going to bring some opportunities to you that you didn't normally see coming, but there's going to be opportunities, and there are going to be opportunity to honor God and an opportunity to also bring some benefit to those involved. Conflict is not necessarily going to be bad or destructive. Even the worst sin in the Bible has turned out at times to be something that is benefiting those around them, it's, and God is turning it into some form of good, and that's possible even for you. In the Bible, it's very clear about what God wants us to do in this first step of glorifying him. And Paul talks to the Corinthian church, and he says to the Corinthians something. Remember, the Corinthians, by the way, they got problems. There's rivalries within the church. There's factions that are going after each other. There's people that are getting drunk before communion. There's one guy that's sleeping with his stepmother and bragging about it. And so the Corinthians, you know, they've got the corner on the market when it comes to problems. And Paul approaches the Corinthian church and says this to them, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. So we are asking ourselves, anytime conflict comes, how do I glorify God in this moment? Glory is one of those religious words, and it can really be misinterpreted at times, and we don't really know what glory means. Glory is a word that means we're making a big deal out of something. We're making a big deal out of something or someone, and we're putting that thing on display. We're showing that thing for all of its value and all of its worth, and that's what it means to glory. Every time we're glorying, we're saying, wow, look at this. I love fairs, and every time I go to a county fair, there's one part of the county fair I like to go to just to explore uh, what people have done with kind of their lives. And it's usually people that are putting things into the fair that they have grown or created in some way. So there are beautiful flowers that are there that they've grown. Perhaps they have uh, big pumpkins that are on display that they have, or maybe cakes or jams or jellies. And all of these people bring these from the local you know, county or neighborhood in order to enter the competition and see who can get the coveted blue ribbon. I've got a picture here of a county fair. These are dahlias that somebody grew. And by the way, for the first time this year, I grew some dahlias in my yard. They don't look quite as pretty as that, but they're, they're doing pretty good, and I like them. And what's happening every time you go to the fair is you're looking for the one with the blue ribbon in order for it to be the one that's saying, wow, look at this. It's as if you're saying, this is worth being glorified. This is being worth put up on a pedestal because it is something of extreme value or extreme importance. All right, what does all that have to do with conflict? Every time conflict comes, you're making a big deal out of something. Are you making a big deal out of you and the pain you feel, and the injustice that's just happened, or are you making a big deal out of God and how God may be actually using this instance and this circumstance for his glory? When conflict begins, we need to ask ourselves the question, where is God right now in the midst of this, and how can we glorify God? Here are two uh, questions that you might use as focus questions as you're beginning this process and wondering, well, how is God in the midst of this? Here are the two focus questions. Number one, where is God working in this conflict? And number two, how can I please and honor the Lord in this situation? So where is God right now? And what are my actions that can bring glory and honor to God in the midst of this time right now? That puts the focus right where it needs to be. 
Because normally, again, we would be asking, why, God, has this happened to me? And why have you surrounded me with all these jerks? I mean, that's where our first response is. And God says, I don't want that to be your first response. I want your first response to be, where am I in this? And how can you bring glory and honor to me? I have a practical application of this. In our school district, we all know that uh, the public schools are about kind of promoting a lot of things gender these days. And gender fluidity is very, very in. Teaching kids to explore their gender. Uh, Don't just take for granted what your biological gender is, which, by the way, God's given you. But go ahead and explore that as much as you want. And that's where the schools seem to be. In fact, even a couple years ago, we had a family here at church that had a child in a, in a grade in one of the schools, a public school, and a, a child had gone through a transition, and so the teacher allowed the student to come in with a PowerPoint to explain all of the transition process. And by the way, without the parents even knowing that that was going to happen. And so this is real, and, it, and it's problematic, and it causes heartache for us because we know that God, again, is the one who said, I'm the one who's created gender, and I've given it to you even at birth. Here's my question for you. It's so easy to get riled up in those moments, and I wonder if our first response could be, how do we glorify God in this instance? Where is God working right now? It might take a little observation on our part to look around and figure some of that out, and a reaction is much easier, but how do we glorify God? Now, It may mean that we still take the trip to the teacher and talk to them. It may mean we still take the trip to the administration. I get all that. But our posture is one of saying we want to honor God in the midst of this. You know, I've been thinking about that situation a little bit more. And for a parent that has a child that is at that level of gender dysphoria, I don't care if they are in our camp and believe what we believe. It's got to be painful. I think about that, about what it would be like to have a child that's struggling at that level in asking, who am I really? And that is not an easy circumstance to be in. Whenever we have conflict, at whatever level it exists, we start by asking the question, how can I glorify God in this instance? All right, number two on the list Get the log out of your own eye. And the passage that relates to this is found in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 7, verse 5. You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus is the master of hyperbole. He is the one that's telling the story here, and he says, by the way, you've got this gigantic log that's in your eye. It's a two-by-four, and he says, I want you to make sure and get the two-by-four out of your eye before you get the sawdust or speck of sawdust out of your friend's eye. And we can all ask the question, okay, well, what are we to do here? Well, the very first thing, as we are asking, how can I glorify God, the next thing we're going to say is, what is my contribution to this conflict? What have I done that may have been the log in my own eye that's caused part of all of this to begin? You might read these words of Jesus about the log in your own eye, and you might say, well, it's wrong always to go to anybody and confront them with any instance 
And that's not what Jesus is saying here. Jesus has plenty to say about going to others, but there's a starting spot and you never can pass over this. You have to start by saying, is there anything I have done that's contributed to this conflict? Let's start with me. Let's get the log out of my own eye. There are two kinds of general logs that can be in our eyes. And here they are. The first one is attitudes. What attitudes are you harboring right now? Is it maybe a critical attitude, a negative attitude? Are you overly sensitive? Do you have a good perspective about your friend or are you just really in a very condemning mode right now? Have you said anything? Or maybe as the conflict has been growing, have you contributed in any ways with your attitudes towards what's transpired? That's the first heart check that we have is about our attitudes. Secondly, we have a heart check over the second kind of log, which is words and actions. What have you done or said that's contributed to this process and how can you take responsibility for that? Let me go back again to the poster instance, the nude poster on the side of the building. One of the things we had to do is we had to swallow hard and say, guess what? We did wrong. We left lights on for who knows how long. It may have been weeks or even months that caused problems to our neighbors. And we had to repent of that. We had to actually tell them we're sorry for that. And guess what? We had to change our actions. We actually put that light on a switch so that it doesn't stay permanently on. One of the things, but we had to change our actions because if we would have just gone through all this and we wouldn't have changed anything, they would have been like, well, you don't even really mean what you're saying here. So we had to be individuals that actually took responsibility for what we had done. And that's a key component as you are getting the log out of your own eye is that you are learning how to repent. And by the way, to make a complete confession to God and a complete confession to the person that you have offended. Can I give you, again, I'm just gonna rattle through this pretty quickly, but there's seven A's of a biblical confession the book that I've been selling the last couple of weeks, I'm out of those now, but the, one that the, the book I've been selling called Resolving Everyday Conflict has these seven A's, and here they are. I'm just gonna go through them real quickly, and we'll make a couple comments about them in a minute. But you've gotta address everybody involved. Everybody that has been involved in the conflict has to be addressed. Avoid if, but, and maybe. If you're using those words, everything that goes after that, nobody even hears, because those are conditional words that get people off the hook. Admit specifically what you've done, acknowledge the hurt, accept the consequences, alter your behavior. In other words, don't keep doing that and ask them for forgiveness. And as I look at that list, and maybe as you look at that list, it's very easy to recognize that most confessions that you're hearing that are public today, either by politicians or people that are really important, are very anemic confessions. They're almost not even confessions at all because of what people actually say. And they say they're, they're apologizing, but if you look carefully, really they're not. I've got an example of this that I've been following now for a number of weeks. And many of you know that we just went through the, the uh, World Cup for the women. And the World Cup was held in Australia and New Zealand and uh, teams came from all over the world to play. Well, the final game was played between Spain and England. And Spain won that game one to nothing, great match, and they won the World Cup. Well, they began to have the celebrations 
on the field immediately after the win, and they start handing out the trophies and you know, all the speeches and stuff that they typically do, but something happened at that celebration that, well, we've kind of not seen before, and it was kind of over the edge, and man, it just blew up the, uh, the, the, the internet and all the comments that began to happen. Here is what happened. Luis Rubiales is the head of the Spanish Soccer Federation, and the woman that is in his arms right there is the star of the match, Jenny Hermoso, and he kissed her flat out on the lips with a billion people watching. I mean, whatever the number was. I mean, a big number. And like I said, this just created a firestorm. It created a pending investigation of Rubiales, who he's been now been uh, temporarily suspended upon more review. And regardless of what you think about it, and I won't pass judgment one way or the other on whether it was appropriate or not, but here's what I do want to uh, uh, dig down a little bit on was his confession. Because this is what Rubialis said. Listen to his confession. I have to apologize. Probably I made a mistake. We shouldn't pay attention to idiots and stupid people claiming that the kiss was just a pact between two friends celebrating something. There was no bad intentions on either party. We saw it as natural. But it has caused commotion and people are offended, so I must apologize. Does that sound like an apology to you? Does it sound like anybody who has any level of contrition at all? I mean, better not to make the confession than to make one like that. And anytime confessions are kind of at that public level now, I'm always listening to them, and I'm listening for the seven A's. Where are they going? How are they covering that? Is there any level, really, of sorrow here? Is there any sense in which I don't think that they will do that again because they don't like the course that they've taken? If you're going to make an apology, it has to be a robust one. And that's part of getting the log out of your own eye. Step three, gently restore. The Bible calls us to help each other and to restore each other. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15, if your brother sins against you, go and show him his fault just between the two of you. And so there is a time in the lives of Christians that we approach people and we say to them, I'd like to talk to you. I'd like to talk about something that transpired and again, in our world today, well, don't ever do that with anybody because that's considered judging. And, you know, don't judge me. But the Bible says, no, there's an appropriate time to go to somebody if there's been a level of hurt, there's been a level of angst, and to be able to talk openly about that. But we're to go with a specific manner. And that manner is found in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. The verses behind me, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Notice that we are to have a certain kindness, a gentleness about us, not anger, and we're going to restore rather than condemn. And anytime we go to restore, that word means something. It means to mend or repair or equip or complete. And so it means that you're going with the posture of saying, 
oh man, I see that cut. Let me you know, put some ointment on that and let me bandage it up because I want your healing. Oh wow, broken bone. Let's put the split on that because I want you to be well. I want you to be whole. I want you to, complete, to return to complete usefulness to those around you and your own life. And so you want wholeness in the person's life that you are approaching. Yet even before you go to somebody, remember that it is appropriate to overlook certain offenses. You know, it's appropriate at times when you feel as though something's wronged you to say, you know what, the easiest thing for me to do right now is to overlook that offense. And last week I gave you those four questions to ask if you are to overlook an offense. I'm gonna give you those again this week only because they're that important. Has it permanently damaged the relationship? Is it seriously hurting other people? Is it seriously hurting the offender himself? Or is the offense seriously dishonoring God? If you say no to all of those, your easiest course of of action may be to say, in this instance, I'm gonna overlook the offense. But if you're answering yes to any of those, then that's an individual that you're going to need to approach and you're going to need to say, hey, in gentleness, I wanna talk. Before you go to that meeting, can I encourage you to actually think about it? I take notes because I want my thoughts to be very clear. So I take notes and I take notes about certain questions I want to ask for clarity. Maybe there's some things I don't understand and I want to ask some questions to make sure that I'm engaged with this person and I understand what's happened. So I'm going to ask some questions. There's some things that I write down that I want to make sure I clearly communicate And so I'm writing those things down for myself. So I'm preparing before I ever go to that person. I kind of almost scripting in my mind, how do I want this to go or how do I think it'll go? And how do I engage this individual in this gentle way in which God is calling me to go? Anytime we're seeking reconciliation with somebody, we want gentleness to be that approach because this is not a gotcha moment. It really isn't. It's not, oh, I gotcha. No, that's not it. It is, hey, I want wholeness here. I want your complete uh, recovery from whatever it is that's going on inside. And I want there to be something you recognize what's happened and that there is a true and lasting change that happens from it. And so again, we are going with gentleness. There's one more step. The final step is go and be reconciled. And one of the most unique and important parts of biblical peacemaking is that there's the possibility not just for you to go to somebody, but for there to be actual forgiveness and actual reconciliation. Maybe this is a good time for me to define the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation. Let's start off with the word forgiveness. It literally means to cancel a debt. So when I forgive you, I am canceling a debt that you owed me. Anytime you sin against somebody else, you're creating a debt to that person. That's biblical thinking 101 here. And anytime you are forgiving somebody, you're saying, what you owe me now, you don't owe me any longer. Now, again, there's times in which that person and what they owe, we may, we may actually hinder that. We may actually be like, I'm not going to let that happen. And we can do that by things like withholding forgiveness. And so I don't even want to hear from what they have to say. Dwelling on the wrong, oh man, we let that thing seep down deep into our bones. Every part of the offense is on the inside of us. Maybe we're cold or aloof to them. Maybe we gossip about them. Maybe we plan our revenge against them. And when we cancel the debt, we're saying all of those things that I was spending so much energy on, I'm giving those up. There's no longer a debt that you have to me. You don't owe me that anymore. 
You know those harsh words you said? You know those actions that you took? You know the hurt that you caused? You know what? I'm, I'm forgiving that debt. I'm no longer asking for that to be paid in any way. And, and that's what forgiveness is. Reconciliation, on the other hand, means that a relationship is restored. Reconciliation literally means that there's the ceasing of hostilities. And so what was between us once, and there was animosity, and there was angst, and there was like, ooh, I don't know if I want to talk. All of that is beginning to melt away. And when there's reconciliation, it means forgiveness has happened. There's been this repentance and forgiveness. But also now, there is the chance for the relationship to regrow and to sprout in some brand new ways. Here's what I want you to hear today. In Christ, we have both forgiveness and reconciliation. In Christ, we have both forgiveness. Oops, uh, there it is. In Christ, we have both forgiveness and reconciliation. And it's possible in real life to, and by the way, we have that because Christ perfectly accomplishes that for us. He perfectly forgives and he perfectly says, even though I'm not in the wrong, I'm going to forgive and we're gonna have relationship and peace again. But it's possible for us to go to somebody and want there to be reconciliation. In fact, we've forgiven them and for the reconciliation piece not to happen. Why? It's because it takes two people to reconcile. And if they don't want the reconciliation to happen, it's not going to occur. There will not be the rebuilding of relationship. And that's why, again, the Bible says, as much as it's up to me, let me be at peace with all people because that's what I'm responsible for is me. And so you're hoping to go and have a complete and lasting reconciliation, but that doesn't always occur. Now I'll go to the Colossians 3 passage. Bear with each other often, bear with each other, and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgives you. And anytime you go to a situation in which you're rebuilding something that is broken, you're having this posture of forgiveness and you're having this posture of wanting there to be a relationship that is restored. So there you have it. Four steps anytime you're seeking to resolve conflict. Number one, glorify God. Number two, get the log out of your own eye. Number three, gently restore. And number four, go and be reconciled. There's two things I want to do today before we close. The very first thing I want to do is ask you if you're following Jesus. What I've been talking about the last three weeks is the Jesus way of resolving conflict. It's not the world's way. The world won't teach you this. The world won't ask you to consider this or do this. The world's going to predominantly fall in the escape or attack mode. And this is the Jesus way. And it's only possible for us to live this way because this is the way God has lived with us. God has said, I am coming to you to forgive you, not because I have to, but because I want to. I'm coming to forgive you of all of your sin and all your rebellion against me and others around you. And I'm also wanting to restore relationship with you. It is impossible to go and do that with somebody else unless you've experienced that yourself. And so I'm asking you, is that what Jesus has done for you today? Because if that's not your answer, yes, it can be. Today could be your day to say, oh, how I want that. And I want to receive that from God in order for me to be able to give that to others. The second thing I want to say as I close today is, are you willing to do a little bit of heart triage today? Because I'd like to take you and help you make your first steps towards resolving some conflict in your life. 
Maybe you can identify right now somebody that you're just a little, just a little sideways with. They're doing something that not the way you'd do it. They've said something, ooh, it just hurt a little bit. They've taken some action that you, ah, you're not sure about. And you're like, it's a conflict or maybe it's a brewing conflict. And so could we take the first two steps? Number one, how is God working in that situation right now? And how can you bring glory to God in the way that you respond to this situation? That's step one. Step two, get the log out of your own eye. What contribution have you made to that? Look honestly on the inside and begin to say, what is it, Lord, that you would want to work with me on in the midst of this conflict long before I'm ever going to the other person with whatever they've done? And so you're beginning to take those first two steps. Maybe the Lord will also lead you to steps three and four some other time this week. But that's where it all begins, is to recognize the conflict and begin to take wholesome, biblical, good steps towards forgiveness and reconciliation. Peacemaking is God's way of bringing glory to God and restoring people. That's what he does. That's what the gospel does. And we are grateful people that he has given us such good tools for our lives. Lord, we come to you today because uh, you lived through a lot of conflict. It, It was endemic in all of your life on earth. And we are no less. We thank you, Lord, that uh, you've talked so openly about that. And we thank you for the tools that you've given us, mostly that you've given us Jesus. You've given us a way, a truth, and a life that is transforming to us and gives us power in instances like this. Thank you for these things. We lay our lives at your feet right now. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.